Thank you for tuning in to today's audio message. Here at Temple Baptist Church, we are a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. It's a privilege to be with you this morning and to have the opportunity to uh, open the word and share my heart, my life, uh, a dear common friend that Donald and I shared and, and Glenn um, as well. So I say that with all sincerity. You probably have lots of guest speakers and they thank you for the privilege and they probably mean it. Um, But from the bottom of my heart, I'm uh, honored to be here. As Donald mentioned, I, I met him back in 1986, and we were seminary students outside of Washington, D.C. during the Ronald Reagan administration, if you can appreciate American politics. And Donald came mid-year to school and arrived at the dorm, and being a good Sicilian I brought him cookies and candy and fruit like my mother taught me to welcome foreigners and strangers (laughs) in a foreign land, and uh, we hit it off immediately in terms of of friendship. And when I went into his dorm room, he had some photos of different uh, girlfriends on his mirror, and one of them uh, caught my eye, this cute little brunette. And I inquired, as any normal, healthy, 26-year-old, celibate Christian man would, I said, who's this? He says, oh, that's my friend Wendy Rodericks. We went to Word of Life Bible Institute together. And at the time, she was a graduate student at Liberty University. And ironically, I had a friend from Bible college who was also in the same master's program with Wendy, and so Donald and I drove down to Lynchburg, Virginia to meet our mutual friends, and, and the rest is history. So I married her 10 months later, as fast as I could before she could figure things out. Um, and the Lord uh, gave us uh, 26 years and um, five healthy children before her homegoing in 2014. And uh, those were her last words. She awoken from a sleep during her difficult last week of life, and she looked to the hospice nurse and myself and said, I want to go home. And we released her. When I was a young man of 19 or or 20 years old, a little bit prideful, a little bit arrogant, high expectations of what ministry would look like, I heard a Chuck Swindoll sermon on leadership, and what he said resonated with me, and I've never forgotten it. And he said, when God wants to use a man, he breaks him first. And I can't remember anything else about Swindoll's uh, sermon, the context, uh, the passage, where I was, uh, other than when God chooses to use a man or, or a woman or even a family, he breaks them first. And I thought, what, what good is a broken vessel? 
This morning, I'd like to share with you kind of my story, some devotional thoughts and reflections, and briefly, the assigned passage of Philippians 2 as well. And Philippians 2 is an exercise or a display of the humility of Christ, even in his own brokenness. And what I've learned over these last eight years of my life, uh, four years as my wife's caregiver, and four years now without her, and now with a man of uh, a little less pride and a little less arrogance, is that we basically and simply serve broken people. That's ministry. And we serve them in a broken world. That's our reality. And we serve them in these broken jars of clay. And sometimes the Lord asks us to do it even with a broken heart. Wendy was diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer a year after we arrived into the Central Valley of California to begin a new ministry of a small Bible church, little independent church in a predominantly agricultural community. And we were almost 3,000 miles from our family uh, from the Northeast. And so for her, it was cancer, chemo, surgery, chemo, rest. And I can imagine in a congregation uh, this size, some of you are in the midst of that journey as well. And you know this journey. And some of you have come out on the other end of this journey. And then again, it came back. So it was cancer, chemo, surgery, and rest. And then it came back again. And it was cancer, and the cancer decided to close her intestine. So it was surgery, repair the intestine. Cancer closed this intestine again, and it's, okay, no more surgeries. And it'll just be chemo. And it was 24-hour dilated for pain. For those of you in the medical profession and understand, it was 24-hour TPN for nutrition because uh, she could no longer eat, and it was a belly drain that allowed her to at least drink. Uh, and those were the last seven months of her life. And the woman didn't complain. So when I read Philippians 2 and verse 12, when the apostle says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain, But even as I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you, and you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Just a little irony there of the reference to word of life 
And that's where Donald uh, met Wendy. Uh, she didn't grumble or complain. And this passage resonates about her own life. This morning, I hope you'll, you'll get to know her a little bit. You'll get to know me a little bit. You'll get to know your pastor a little bit more. Uh, but you'll see the Savior. Wendy used to say, uh, God gave me cancer. I don't think about the theology of this statement. Don't overthink it. But she used to say, God gave me cancer to wake me from my spiritual slumber. And that's that working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's saying, stir my heart, wake me, God. And, and sadly, I was her husband and pastor for 26 years, and, and I didn't know she was sleeping. I didn't know she felt that in her heart in terms of a spiritual slumber. And I recently, as I've wrestled through this sermon, and I've shared it with a couple other congregations, I... Uh, could it be the Lord has taken uh, the mother of my children, the, the bride of my youth, to wake me from my spiritual slumber? In this passage of Philippians 2, we see the display of humility in our Lord, right? As demonstrated in our sanctification through blameless living. And our sanctification is our journey in Christ's likeness. It is an awakening from our spiritual slumber to say, make me more like Christ. By your spirit, conform me to his image. What is sanctification? Is it what we do to prove we are Christians? No, that's not sanctification. Is it, is it the list of do's and don'ts to somehow mature our faith? Well, that's not sanctification either. But rather, sanctification is a work of God's grace. It's by him, it's through the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. And it has the idea of consecration, setting us apart for holiness. Let me repeat that. Sanctification is a work of grace by God through the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. And sanctification is a journey in brokenness. It's a journey in brokenness, and it's never easy. And it is relative to our experience and our calling, right? Each of us will have a different journey in sanctification. And yours will be yours, and mine will be mine. God has called you to live here and now, right? In this place. And this is the where and the when in which he will conform you to Christ's own image. It is a work of transforming hearts by breaking, molding, and shaping. And guess what? I don't like it. It's a work of deconstruction to do a work of reconstruction to do a work of transformation. And it ain't always fun. Forgive my English. Uh, the psalm, uh, David, the psalmist in Psalm 34 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's a part of our sanctification. 
That's a part of the working out our, of our salvation with fear and trembling in our brokenness and in our grumbling or in our complaining. So in this passage of Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul is not saying work for your salvation. He is saying work out your salvation. In other words, keep pressing on, right? Keep pressing on because God is doing the work in verse 13, right? It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's why Wendy could declare that she believed God gave her cancer. She also used to say, well, why not me? She never said, why me? But she would say, well, why not me? Why not me? I thought for uh, some time now, uh, over and throughout this journey, that maybe I was too broken uh, to be used or or just too empty to be used. That this uh, cracked clay jar couldn't hold any more water. So I was able to resign from my church after Wendy's passing and, and took a season of rest uh, and recovery and mourning and just walking my children through the grief journey. And then I had a couple of conversations with two strangers I met. One was just a spiritual man and the other was a Christian woman. And I shared with them a little bit of my story as the conversation opened and unfolded. And they both affirmed to me the value of brokenness and the message that I would have to share. And I felt as though it was the Lord speaking to me and affirming to me um, that maybe he just wasn't done with me yet. I want to share with you some brief thoughts also from uh, 2 Corinthians 4 as well this morning. But before I do, let me turn over there. I want to tell you about a mission trip I took to Columbia back in the fall of 2014. And it was just five months after Wendy's homegoing. And I went on a pilgrimage to Columbia in her memory. She had gone to the city of Barranquilla in 1998. It was her first and only mission trip. And we were deciding about going on staff full-time with E3 Partners in Dallas. And it was intended to give her a sense of what I would be doing in terms of leading short-term mission trips, taking teams overseas to do evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And fortunately, I was able to do it for four years. Uh, Needless to say, she fell in love with the Colombians. She fell in love with the model. And she was convinced, as I was, we should make that sacrifice and serve the church in that way. And we did for four years. And she always wanted to return, but just life and having children uh, always prevented her. We used to joke about her being perpetually pregnant because she had three miscarriages, but five healthy children. So she was, I think, pregnant for about 13 years. (laughs) I think if the math is right. And then when, she, when the children were you know, old enough and she felt comfortable, I can go, then cancer prevented her from going. So as I was going through her stuff, I came across old photographs and letters from Columbia, and so it was just affirmation uh, for me to go. And I was simply going with a former college professor and colleague. I was just going to hang out with him to be with him for a week and really do nothing and just uh, shadow him. Um, I came across a letter of a woman named Nubia, and uh, I took the letter with me, and I was able to find Nubia 16 years later and share 
Wendy's story, and uh, they had lost contact, and so that was a blessing. But honestly, I didn't know what I would be able to do to assist the team. That's why Sam said, you'll just hang out with me. And then Sam had a back problem and ended up having to have surgery uh, and unable to go, so I went alone. And at the time, I mean, it's five months later, I still couldn't pray out loud without crying, right? I hadn't spoken publicly since her funeral, and then every song, you know, I'm going to the grocery store and I'm listening to K-Love or Air One, and, and I just have to pull over. I can't even get to the grocery store without listening to a song and just having to, to cry, reading the scriptures. I couldn't read my Bible because it just wasn't Bible stories. You know, it just wasn't hymns any longer. Uh, this was now truth and the reality of truth. Is there life after death? Is there the forgiveness of our sin? Is there hope and resurrection? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. It no longer was songs, but it was our reality. So I was placed on a small evangelism team. They didn't, a couple folks knew my story, but not everyone. And we do door-to-door evangelism. And we knock on doors all day and afternoon and into the evening, all week long. And I'm like, I'm lost. And I've done this hundreds of times. I mean, I've done this professionally, right? I'm a paid professional missionary. I know how to share the gospel even in my sleep. But I felt like I was a new Christian, and I was starting over. So I had a picture of Wendy and our children, and I just started to tell her story, visit after visit. Rather than my story, I told her story, right? Showing her uh, photograph and our children and about her visit to Columbia and her desire to come back and never able to and told of her cancer and her faith and her courage and her unwavering trust in the Savior who forgave her and cleansed her and gave her hope for everlasting life. And how she continued in the midst of her cancer, she continued to keep working out her salvation with fear and trembling and without complaining. I felt like a broken record because I told that same story dozens of times that week. And then I realized I wasn't a broken record. I just was a broken clay jar. Just a broken vessel with the treasure of the gospel placed in it. During that week, one of the dear sisters in the church gave me 2 Corinthians 4.17. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And I thought that's, that was Wendy's journey. Verse 16, but the apostle says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. And that's what we saw. We saw cancer decaying the body. But the inner woman was more alive from her spiritual slumber. Well, the passage resonated with me. She asked me, teach us this passage. And I'm like, I've never, 
I've never preached through 2 Corinthians 4, uh, so I just unfolded it in this informal Bible study with these dear saints to the best of my ability. Uh, let me read the whole chapter. It's worth our reading. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. But we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Oh, of the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live constantly are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. And I thought, that's it. That's it. Paul, in this context, is defending his apostolic ministry. Uh, he's describing it as supernatural. Second Corinthians is, is deep, it's rich, it, it's complex. And he defends his role as an apostle. Uh, but here, the words that kind of just jumped out at me as I worked through the passage, verse 3, uh, the idea of veiled, and then verse 4, blinded, verse 5, darkness, and then death and dying, verses 11 and 12, and, and decaying. And they just, what, what's he writing about? He's writing about kind of the mortal, the flesh. But in verse 1, where he says, we do not lose heart, then in verse 16, we do not lose heart, but I, I had lost heart. What is seen is temporal, what is unseen is eternal, but we fix our eyes on, on what we see, not on what we don't see. I mean, I do. I, I want to see it, right? I want to smell it, taste it, feel it, touch it. I want to know it's real. Is this real? But faith is abstract. I can remember having a talk with Wendy uh, that last week and said, I, in, a, in a joking, tongue-in-cheek way, I said, I sure hope we're right because uh, you're going to find out first. And we kind of giggled and laughed. It was a, a Tuesday afternoon in late, uh, 
May, I think it was May 20th, and we were driving to the oncology center for chemo as we had done every week and on our ride into Bakersfield from the little town of Wasco, California, where we lived, uh, Wendy said, okay, I'm done. No more chemo. So we told her doctor and the PA, and, and they both were surprised and shocked that she was done. Um, and they honored her request, and we contacted hospice. Hospice was agreeable to allow her to continue with her uh, TPN nutrition and so that was a blessing, because we just didn't know. And, and she was gone in a week. And so she faded quickly that week. And um, uh, she began to drift in and out. And from one of her moments of being awake, she said to me, you're not going to believe me. I said, I'll believe you. You're going to think I'm crazy. I said, no, I'm not. And my, my theology can't explain this. But she says, I, I see a man, and his arms are out. It's the transition of life from the mortal to the immortal. And I said, go, go to it. And then the next day is when she awoke again from the sleep, as I shared with you, and just blurted out, I want to go home. I want to go home. And those were her last words. See, the Apostle Paul was convinced those 11 other apostles were convinced. The 150 in the upper room, men and women and young people were convinced. The 500 who gathered were convinced. These eyewitnesses staked their lives on what we believe today about resurrection. Because Jesus didn't rise from the dead to die again. He didn't rise from the dead and wander off into the wilderness and grow old. Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven before eyewitnesses. That's an important part of the gospel we forget. It's like, whoa, he just didn't rise, but ascended. And their eyewitnesses is our hope, our hope today. So God takes a broken jar of clay he puts the treasure of the gospel in it, so he gets all the credit. And he gets all the glory that he deserves. Psalm 51, uh, verse 17 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. So he gets the credit. Back to the 2 Corinthians passage, verse 8, the word afflicted has the idea of under pressure, but not crushed, pressed. It's kind of like going through the narrow gate of Matthew 21. The word perplexed here it means to be at a loss. And I think we're allowed to ask why when we're at a loss. Even Jesus himself asked the Father in heaven, why have you forsaken me? 
but not despairing, Paul says, not completely baffled, because Romans 8.28 says he causes all things to work together for good. He says persecuted, the idea is to be hunted like an animal, which we can't comprehend, but the Christians were. Hunted down, but not forsaken, not deserted, not abandoned, For lo, I am with you to the end of the age, our Lord promised. Struck down is a a wrestling term, taken down but not destroyed, not perished. The apostle says, but still alive and fighting. But sometimes we lose our fight. And sometimes it's hard to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Verses 10 through 12, he talks about dying and life and death and life and death and life. And verse 16, decaying and being renewed. And I ask myself, is it worth fighting for? Is your faith worth fighting for? Uh, I bet some of you in here have lost your fight at times. And what do we do when we lose our fight? Uh, The hope is others will fight for us. And if you're strong right now in your walk and strong in your faith, then fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Uh, In December of 2013, uh, we thought we were going to lose Wendy. I contacted her family and a couple of girlfriends. I said, you need to come now. And the Lord gave us uh, five more months Uh, So one of her girlfriends came from Pennsylvania, Jane. Jane went to Word of Life Bible Institute with Donald and Wendy, just lifelong friends. Uh, And my kids knew Jane. They call her Aunt Janie. And she came in and just took over for a week. So it was, you know, cooking, cleaning, baking, freezing, Christmas, decorating, uh, care package presents from folks from Pennsylvania we didn't even know. like I, I call her a cruise ship activities director. Just fills the room with life. Wendy had a uh, horrific week. Um, there was an ambulance ride. There was um, her intestine had closed. It was this projectile vomiting. Just horrific, horrific. And just Janie graciously served her dear friend for that week. Um, Janie goes back to Pennsylvania and her husband Greg has a doctor's appointment and his doctor tells him he has pancreatic cancer so now I'm angry and disappointed because it was okay okay Lord we'll do this Wendy's brave we're trusting you we'll do this our five kids will do this But now why do the Pendels have to do this? Why do they have to walk this journey? Why do their three kids have to walk this journey? And Greg began to blog, Christ uh, is greater than cancer. Big C is greater uh, than little C. It's It's on my wrist. Big C is greater than little C. And so his blog during his illness was Christ is greater than cancer. And just this outstanding testimony of trust as a family. Uh, Greg went to be with the Lord a year after 
Wendy. But during that year without Wendy, in the midst of Greg's illness, he and the Pendells were fighting for us in our grief. So when you lose your fight, you need others who will fight for you. Don't underestimate the value of prayer. Don't underestimate a text that simply says, I'm praying for you today. I'm thinking of you and your children today. Meant the world to us. Uh, Jane is trying to launch a ministry now uh, in Greg's ministry that Christ is greater than cancer uh, to minister to families walking through this. Let me wrap up my thoughts. (laughs) It was August 19th, 2009. Dr. Velasquez was our primary caregiver, sweet little godly uh, doctor, and she came into the room and told us it was cancer. Uh, two days after my wife's 46th birthday, the children were 7, 8, 11, 14, and 15. And then what she said next, I, also I'll never forget. Dr. Velasquez said, we will storm the throne of God for you. Dr. Velasquez was willing to fight. Wendy was willing to fight, and she fought bravely, and I fought, and then I lost my fight. And what I heard Chuck Swindoll say that, you know, 35 years ago, when God chooses to use a man, he must first break him, began to make sense, kind of made sense. And how am I working out my salvation with fear and trembling because I have to keep fighting because God is at work in me to will and to do for his good pleasure as he is at work in each and every one of you. I don't know about tomorrow. I can just live from day to day as the old hymn goes. But I do know God takes broken jars of clay He puts the treasure of the gospel in him, and he sends him to difficult places with difficult circumstances in difficult situations, and he says, trust me. Watch me work for the glory of my name among the nations. He says, it's for the notoriety of my name, not yours. He says, Those are my children, not yours. Those are my sheep, not yours. He declares that's my church, that's my gospel, and that's my treasure. Simply trust me in your brokenness. We simply serve broken people in a broken world, in these broken jars of clay, with this incredible treasure of the good news of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, was raised on the third day, and offers us forgiveness and hope for all who will believe in him. And sometimes we get to do it with a broken heart. Let me pray for us as we conclude. Father in heaven, I...
I think of what the apostle wrote in this rich epistle. He was confident that you who began a good work would bring it to completion in the day of Christ. And he was confident in the midst of his hunger or his abundance that he could be content, that he could do all things through Christ. He was confident whether he was shipwrecked or safe on land, whether he was free or is imprisoned, that he could do whatever you called him to do. Because he said, it's your, you're the one who's at work in us. And Lord, I pray for these dear saints who have given me this honor. I pray for those who are in the middle of the storm today. I pray for those who have just come out of the storm and are catching their breath. And I pray for those who don't know it, but they'll have a doctor's appointment this year and they'll enter into a storm that they didn't see coming, that your grace will sufficient. Receive our worship, receive our broken hearts, receive our broken bodies as we seek to serve you in this broken world and as we offer to you our broken hallelujahs.